Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My name is Dan Hughes. With me today is Scott Weber, Senior Portfolio Manager. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be with you. With 2017 coming to close and another year, strong year across U.S. equities, one of the biggest headlines that so far at the year's end is the Fed's decision to reduce the balance sheet going forward. Further, Draghi is also forecasted following U.S. suit in the second half of 2018. Scott, how do you think this will impact your thinking and your approach ahead in the select portfolio? I, I think you're right to include Draghi in that, but I would also broaden your question to include uh, the People's Bank of China and the Bank of Japan. Uh, all told, you know, of the four of the G4 central banks, you've got about 19 and a half trillion dollars of of balance sheet represented in a growing sense. There's an old saw in the business that. Uh, Fundamentals may drive stock prices, but liquidity has the power to move markets. And there's no doubt um, in the wake of the financial crisis that we've seen ample liquidity come into the marketplace from the stroke of pen to the, the four central banks. Ticking through the four, the Fed's actually the smallest at about four and a half trillion. Uh, and, and, and by the way, the only uh, apparently clearly out of the incremental accommodation business central bank there is. Uh, Moving up the list, the, the third smallest would be the Bank of Japan at about $4.7 trillion. Uh, we're recording this uh, in late December, but on the 21st, we will have an announcement from Kuroda, which may lead to some shift in their policy. But at, as of today, they own about three-quarters of the Japanese ETF market, a large portion of the bond market, and they've apparently been buyers overseas as well. Uh, next up on the list is ECB, and as you pointed out, uh, Draghi has signaled a reduction in the accommodation there, um, but but still uh, a central bank that's adding liquidity to the fire. And uh, I'm not sure how to gauge the size, scale, or intent of the People's Bank of China, but I've heard a number of theories um, floating post the, the plenary that uh, it, it may be that there are other political motivations, in fact. All, all that told, you put it together, and the Fed is important, it is impactful, but what you have is perhaps a marginal shift away from at least massive accommodation to reducing accommodation. And if you string that together with the comment on liquidity, I would tell you that the investors who are not considering the macro effects in so much as those dollars or whatever currency forms they are coming into financial markets will be smaller in the future or are somewhat blind to, to the risks that, that may face them. And, what, and, and as you're starting to get deeper into this question, you know, specifically inside the U.S. and the impact of external capital flowing through into U.S. risk assets. I, I think it'll manifest itself in perhaps some rotation, perhaps greater volatility. Uh, there have been segments of the market which have been perhaps more pronounced with respect to the impact of this liquidity. I'd highlight uh, small caps. Uh, I know that. Uh, it, do you think this this actually explains the phenomenon that we experienced in the last two years in the small cap? I think I think that's a part of it. I, I think that you're seeing, generally speaking, greater earnings growth in larges. Uh, generally speaking, at the start of '17, certainly you had arguably a valuation preference there, but but certainly with respect to the effects of liquidity on asset pools, if we we're going to take the U.S. equity markets and divide them by market capitalization. There's no doubt there's a scarcity aspect, or at least an inability for large pools of money to move into and out of smalls versus larges. And so the impact of that liquidity has a greater effect. 
to wit, we've seen uh, a large disparity in the performance of small caps that are highly owned by the index slash ETFs, generally speaking, versus those that are not owned by, uh, or, or at least smaller held, uh, holdings in uh, ETFs. And, and so I think that in as much as that has distorted the price discovery, because in effect, uh, indices are, are, and, and the buyers that follow them are not exhibiting price discovery, it is more an asset allocation decision, the impact on smalls will be uh, more pronounced in as much as if that has been a factor going in and supporting high index holding smalls, that would perhaps cut the other way as it exits. So, so this is more of a, a discussion of, of a rotation of the flow. Is that what you're seeing this as? I, I think so. I think it's, it's a question of the source of the investor. So if you are a high active share, bottoms up stock picker looking at small caps, chances are you've been frustrated by the index's outperformance for the last few years. And if, and I do stress if, we're at a point where the, the accommodation on a global scale uh, has reached some inflection, then that should inure back to the benefit of the price discovery of the stock picker in smalls. Certainly more pronounced than larges, but the same effect would be across the cap spectrum. So I mean, I think you you, you nailed the concern right there, right? You've you're you're walking away from an environment, or you know, we're, we're toward the, the more likely tail end of an environment where investors in, in U.S. equities have experienced somewhere around a two x historical norm rate of return for for multiple years, and that's clearly not anywhere near the norm. Um, it's I would make a fair argument that it's, it's probably unsustainable. Uh, and particularly in this in this global environment, you know, where and what kind of expectations uh, should investors uh, expect from here? No, and I think I think it depends on how you want to define multiple years. I mean, certainly if you go back to the credit crisis, which is sort of influential for the, everything that we've discussed from a macro input on this on this conversation so far, um, there's no doubt that you're starting from a really low number, um, and so higher than average performance year over year might be expected. However, this far on is pretty uh, uh, surprising. I certainly would believe that if you polled investors at the beginning of 2017, few would have come up with an S&P in a, in a kind of a low 20s return uh, for, for the year. And so that that's definitely surprising. So that begs the question, how have we gotten here recently and are those conditions expected to continue? And, and I would say that they're there is an, an ongoing narrative of the global synchronous growth, which is attractive, and then certainly in this business, it's a pleasant thing to discuss. In terms of what investors can expect from here, I, I, I think it hinges largely on this liquidity um, shift. And to the extent that we are at it, some form of inflection, even if it's a long, drawn-out inflection, as one can reasonably expect, that suggests perhaps an increase in volatility. Dispersion. I mean, one can also make a very credible argument that commodities haven't fully participated in this rally, and that might be uh, an area of, of brighter spots for 2018. So, so that's interesting. Um, and as you talk about the rally that we've seen, you know, anecdotally, right, from from an outsider's view, it, it appears that there are just a few names driving the S and P, and you know, perhaps you know uh, more so than um, you know the last couple of years where it's been really heavily dominated by three or four but you know perhaps you know 15 or 20 names and and it seems as though that the majority of these names are mega cap so you know in, in your opinion you know, what what is truly driving those large mega cap names to continue to extend outward and then dragging the overall returns of the S&P higher and, you know are these now today at, at reasonable prices or are they growing at a reasonable rate um, or is it a reflection of investors 
who do not want to be left behind in owning you know, the, the big names, right? The Amazons or the Googles or what it might be. Um, and looking at a, at a household name that's really been running, they need to be a market participant. Let's buy those guys. And that uh, further uh, increases the heightening of the price. So there's a lot in that question. Let's break it up into some pieces. First of all, Yes, there have been a few names, and certainly to the extent that you're going to define the market by the S&P, which is a cap-weighted index, it's not unusual to have a few names as the determinant aspect of performance for that year. I think in terms of, of narrative in 2017, uh, it was more front-end loaded than it might have otherwise been. But inasmuch as there are a few very large names with very uh, attractive returns this year, you know, kind of the mid-40s upwards of, of 50% in some of them, th- there's no doubt that that's going to drive the index. Although if you look on a year-to-date basis with the S&P up low 20s, the participation rate is, is, is pretty solid with consumer discretionary kind of at a low 20s, staples at a low double digit, financials mid-20s, healthcare, you know, mid-low 20s, industrials. 19 tech at 40% is is pretty big. Um, and and materials at 20 is, is actually kind of surprising. Energy down a little bit, telecom down a little bit. Not, not totally surprising, but also much smaller weightings in the overall index. And so you can argue that that's reasonably broad participation. But there's no doubt that, that there are a few names driving things. So the, in terms of fear of missing out, of course, I can't speak to the investor motivation for, for everyone, but there are reasons to invest in several of these very attractive, very mega scale businesses which improve their moat, improve their competitive advantage by, advantage by virtue of their scale. And some of those phenomena are not shifting. Ticking through a couple of them, I think there are things that are external considerations to investing which are risks to them, such as political motivation. We're all aware of uh, the headlines uh, with respect to foreign meddling in the Facebook and Google ad exchanges. Whether or not Amazon is going to you know, be in every considerable, considered industry on the planet. You know, does, does that make Amazon expensive? Not necessarily. Uh, on the other hand, it's a name that we've had a hard time grasping with respect to our valuation discipline and reconciling capital allocation to it. Whereas with respect to Microsoft, uh, the hybrid cloud adoption uh, has meant that that stock has performed very well, and the the transition of the investor base away from a Windows-centric model to a more broad interpretation of their value creation has certainly brought new shareholders into the fold. And so it's not crazy. It's not completely out of line, although I would tell you it's... Um, generally speaking, not as easy decision as it may have been a year ago to allocate capital to these names. And so it is, as it's becoming more challenging, particularly if, with, a, with a value discipline, you know, you listed off uh, you know, a handful of the, of the sectors and while they, for the most part, are, are doing uh, fantastically well, you mentioned energy was, was down. And you know, is this perhaps an area that people should be looking at if they're truly looking for something that's either undervalued on an absolute basis or, or perhaps it's just undervalued on a relative basis, given how much all the other assets are, or the other sectors of the, of the market have run? I, I think like anything else, as you'd expect a stock picker to answer, it depends on the securities. I, I wouldn't blindly allocate capital to energy, but I would tell you that there's a lot of work being done in this shop in that space. Yeah, well, it's a fantastic answer, and I think that's a great lead into wrapping up, right? It's, it's less about what sector, it's less about participation, it's more about security selection and fundamentals, and that's the environment that we're shifting to. So you know, as you look ahead, Scott, to 2018, uh, 
what are you know any any you know real short blips on your expectations, or um, perhaps you know why a strategy uh, run with the high active share, more concentrated nature um, should excel uh, in the environment we're about to walk into. It's it's self serving, but of course selection matters, and and it's mattered less in a growth of liquidity market. And in as much as we believe that we may be in an inflection, again, it may take some time. It's not as if uh, we're suddenly going to pull the rug out. You know, the central banks are not going to pull the rug out from under us necessarily. Uh, and obviously, this is dependent on externalities, et cetera, et cetera. But in as much as that's the environment we've been in, there, there is a shift in the underpinning of the source of that liquidity that heightens price discovery. Uh, I, I think you know, one of the things we haven't really talked about today is is the the Bitcoin phenomenon, but a friend coined this phrase, the, the crypto bull market. And that's effectively what it's like. And to the extent that you allude to uh, fear of missing out as a reason to uh, for, for an investor perhaps to participate in this, that's never a reason that we're going to invest. We're always and everywhere looking to help a client defeat their liabilities. We're not going to participate because of fear of missing out. If, on the other hand, we find a situation where a business is expanding its competitive advantage in, in and can earn a return from that, that that's attractive. And, and we do so with a, with a valuation discipline in mind. And so as you think through to 2008, there are certain things that have played, that have performed very well, where we're going to have a hard time reconciling the valuation. But I feel like there'll be fewer of that sort of activity in 2018 than we've had in the last few years. That's great. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. Really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to having you back next time around. Important information, the analysis and opinions referenced herein represent the subjective views of Daniel Hughes and Scott Weber on December 18, 2017 and should not be construed as investment advice or recommendation. They are subject to change at any time based on market and other conditions. There is no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Past performance is no guarantee to future results. Any reference to specific securities, sectors, or markets within this material does not constitute investment advice or recommendation recommendation or an offer to buy or to sell any security or an offer of services. Natixis Distribution LP is a limited purpose broker dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers for financial professional use only. Attracts 1981139111. Job number POD 103-1217. Expiration date 6-30-2018.